want to be mean here, but Kyle Granlin's a pretty nice dude. And at one point, he was a pretty productive NHL forward. But he's got to go, like, now. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates in the same place that you found this rare news for the club this time of year. Yesterday, Drew O'Connor agreeing to avoid arbitration with the team and signing a two-year deal that's got an AAV of 925000 And while that's not really headline material in and of itself, he's going to be on this team's third or fourth line no matter what he does. The side implication is that the Penguins, specifically Kyle Dubas, will have an additional opportunity, an additional window through which to buy out Granlund. I don't need to go through another recitation of how bad he was after coming here. I don't need to rip the trade all over again. It's spectacularly bad. It'll always be spectacularly bad. The dude's shot. He's got nothing left. I don't know why. Not my problem. Not the Penguins' problem. At least not if they buy him out. If they don't, they're on the hook for him for $5 million as AAV. If they buy him out, they get to save $4 million in cap space. More than $4 million, a little bit more for the coming season. And then they get hit with $1.8 million cap hits over the following three. And it, you know, that's not attractive. It's kind of like the Jack Johnson thing. You see it and you cringe a little bit and you go, wow, this guy isn't even here anymore. But it's better to clean up the problem than to suffer from it. And although obviously it's not Dubas's creation, this problem, it would or could be his continuing the problem by keeping not only Grandland, but also, remember, Jeff Carter. That's way too much essential dead space in your cap in a season that, well, something else I don't have to remind you of is kind of pivotal in the careers of Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and others. This is the time to be getting it done. This is not the time to say, eh, Let's just eat the $4 million and see what Granlin's got. Not going to happen. It's not gonna, there's not going to be a got. There's not going to be a revival. There's not going to be a, yeah, but quietly I was playing through a da-da-da-da-da, and now I'm fine. Uh-uh. Not there. No chance. Dude's shot. But there's another component to this, and if you've been a regular listener to this program, you'll have heard me speak of this already, but it's worth a reminder. This is when you go to the Sharks and you say, listen, you're either going to take Granlund and Petrie, Jeff Petrie, for Eric Carlson, or we're just going to have to start figuring something else out here because we have to make up our minds on Granlund by this weekend, which is, by the way, when this is set up for it, set up for Saturday, the, the window opening. And that's a flare in the sky to Mike Greer out in San Jose that if, in fact, the Hurricanes are out and if, in fact, 
the Penguins are serious about being out, then he's really, really hosed because Carlson's made it clear, including in public, including just a week ago in a Swedish newspaper, that he's not going to play again for the Sharks. So what's Greer going to do? He's going to sit on an $11.5 million cap hit, and he's going to have nothing to show for it, including toward the Sharks' rebuilt. He's not going to have draft picks to show for it. He's not going to have prospects. He's not going to have anything. He's not going to have anything, and the team's going to be horrific. So there's a lot of different things in play here, but there's only, in my mind, one worst-case scenario, and that's that for whatever nutsy reason, and I'm not going to get preemptively angry over a decision that might not have been made, but just laying this out there, worst-case scenario is that the Penguins say, you know, we believe in Granlund. We think that there's something there. We think that, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't. I saw him play. You saw him play. Here's the funny thing about Granlund is even if he were the version of him from a couple of years ago in which he put up 72 points, a lot of them were on the power play, a lot of them were second assists, but 72 points to 72 points. And if you have this guy on your roster and you say, oh, we think we can get a little bit of production from him on the fourth line or whatever. Here's the other thing. And this is how out of this world clueless Ron Hextall was in acquiring this player and clearly not having communicated anything about it with his head coach in advance. Granlund might be the worst fit or one of the worst fits we've seen for the Sullivan system acquired from the outside since Derek Broussard. Can you think of a a more egregious example? I know, I know, Ryan Reeves, right? Because Reeves is tough. But Broussard, seriously, was a guy who did not have or utilize straight line speed to get in on the forecheck. That's all Sullivan wants, man. Unless your name is Sid or Gino, all he wants you to do is to be able to outrace somebody to the end boards. And Granlund can't do that to save his life. And Granlund isn't even that guy if he could. He's a side-to-side player, completely old-school European East-West player. There's no fit, there's no resuscitation, there's no rescuing this trade. End it, just end it. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from Mark, who in reference to yesterday's episode that was led by the Penguins having six count them six goaltenders on NHL contracts coming into camp. Mark says, plain and simple, DK, if you've got six goaltenders, then you have none. You know, I kind of had a feeling when I heard the first part of that phrase, that's where you'd be headed. I'm sure that's where a lot of people will be headed on this subject, especially after the dubious showing that Tristan Jari just had for this franchise uh, really over the past couple of years. Because when you get right down to it, does he let the team down by not being available or by getting hurt heading into the most recent playoffs? Uh, that's always nebulous. But this past season, there can't be any question 
that he didn't have himself in the best possible shape, not conditioning-wise necessarily, but in the best possible shape to counteract an injury that had been nagging him. And now that everyone, everyone has acknowledged, including Jari himself, since the end of the season, that he could have done more to address. But do you really have none? Here's the thing that I keep coming back to. And I did mention this on yesterday's show, but to reiterate for anybody who missed it, I see Jari as a top five talent in the National Hockey League when he's on his game. But beyond that, I've also seen a toughness to him that I did not ever expect to see. And part of the the value, I think, of trying to keep an open mind in this job that I do is that it's okay to admit that you're wrong or that a circumstance has changed. And in this, in this specific instance, I'm not sure which it is and it doesn't really matter. Because I thought Jari, after that Islanders playoff debacle, might have been somebody who was just a marshmallow upstairs and couldn't be trusted with anything of importance for the duration of his career. You know, kind of how we all thought that about Marc-Andre Fleury, also against the Islanders. But he really showed me something after that in the regular season and then coming back even in that game seven against the Rangers at the Garden where he played reasonably well, played on a busted foot. Imagine that. Playing that position in that sport at that level in a game seven at Madison Square Garden on a busted foot. There's something there. There's something there. I feel like all Jari needs to feel like is healthy. And the way for him to get healthy is to follow the instructions. No, no, no. Exceed the instructions where applicable in terms of getting his body ready to compete. Can I say this? Okay. Yeah, yeah. To compete for a Stanley Cup because he, he, just like before last season, he's their only hope. He has to be able to steal games in the regular season and the playoffs. He has to be that guy who gets white hot in the playoffs the way Sergei Bobrovsky just did. He has to be that guy. There isn't another way out of this. So whether it's one goaltender, four goaltenders, six goaltenders, whoever is the backup, who's pushing this guy, who's uh, releasing Casey DeSmith or, or whatever... That stuff is interesting. It's going to make for a fun camp storyline, but ultimately this still comes down to just Jari. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We're going to do another one of these tomorrow.